Hey y'all, welcome back to the Power and Lifted Podcast. I'm your host, Solana Lewis. Today I speak with the one and only Leah Baval. And if you don't know who that is, she is the strongest drug-tested raw powerlifter in both the 63 and 69 kilo weight class in the world. We had an incredible conversation, diving into everything from the trials and hardships of 2022, where she missed weight at the IPF World Championships, from going from that to having her best performance that she's ever put up on the platform at the Arnold's, what her prep was like for Sheffield, battling through injuries, what it's like to be working with big brands such as Gymshark and what it's like to be a full-time athlete, her book, and what went into writing that book, everything. Such a great conversation. It was really fun. You get to really learn about Leah. And for me, I got to ask her a lot of questions that I've been wondering for a long time. So it was such an honor to speak to her. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And let's go ahead and dive into today's episode. All right, y'all. I'm here with Leah. And I'm so excited because everyone listening to the podcast knows who you are. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Like you've been an inspiration for me for I don't even know how many years, probably at least three years, um, because that's when I really dove into, like, loving the sport of powerlifting, even though I was competing in it already, but that's when I was like, you know what, I want to make it, like, a big part of my life, and, like, I learned about you, and I was like, yo, this girl (laughs) is so strong, I could never, (laughs) how are you today? I'm good, I'm good, really hot right now in France, but I'm good. How hot is it? What about you? Oh, it's like um, more than 30 degrees Celsius. Uh, so it's quite a bit for us, like in, in France. Okay, I've been told France, like, hardly uses air conditioners. Like, they just don't care for them. Yeah, so um, we do lobby in the south of France, but we have, like, um, quite a bit of political, like, oh, uh, try to be, take care of the environment, so... AC, it's not really environment free, so um, friendly. Sorry, so um, so yeah, it's not really a thing to have air conditioning in France. That's wild because in America we don't care about anything or anyone, so we just <laughs> blasting it all day. We're like, we don't care about global warming or the environment. <laughs> Oh my god! Uh, but I'm doing good. I have so many things I want to talk about, but. I think I would love to start with just talking about like going back to 2022. Okay. When 2022. Yes. So last year, right? Where yeah. we had that was the world championship where we did not make weight. And it was the first time that as far as I know, like you ever missed weight. And before that, it was like, of course, we were like, okay, so let's see. Leah's gonna get first. And then let's see who gets second. Like, it's a battle for second place. Like, that was literally what (laughs) the entire meet was going to be. And I've always wondered, like, what weight do you walk around at when you're cutting to 63? So my average body weight uh, when I cut 63 is around, like, 65, 66. Um, It's not that much, but it was a really what happened was really special uh, for 2022 when I didn't make weight. So um, I got sick. Uh, and the problem is when you got sick, it's kind of messed up uh, quite a bit with your water cut. 
so I got COVID at that time. At that moment, I didn't know because um, I I I knew it like few year few days after when I came back from from words um, when I was already in France. Um, but it totally makes sense. So what happened? Uh, we flew like it was. I think it was a Wednesday that I was supposed to compete and I feel like maybe a Friday. Yeah. Friday. And we arrived Saturday, uh, in South, South Africa and, uh, Sunday, Monday, I was already like starting to feel sick, uh, like pain, um, pain in my throat. Um, and like, I was feeling like bloated, but I was like, well, Maybe the air conditioning because there were a lot of air conditioning there because uh, I don't know with air conditioning everywhere. Uh, and I say like maybe the plane, like I was not really, um, yeah, I was feeling sick, but I was okay. So, but when arrived Tuesday, Tuesday I woke up at like six, uh, 65 kilos. So I was like, oh, it's going to be an easy cut. And more of the day, I, more I go to the uh, more the day goes through, more I was feeling more and more sick, uh, bloated. I was not feeling great, and when I weigh in um, at night, I was at sixty-seven kilos. So everything that I drank and I was supposed to eliminate to make the cut easy, I actually like I was keeping everything. Um, so I totally freaked out. I was like sixty-seven, and I need to be at sixty-three like the day after, and I did. Um, my weigh-in was like maybe at 1 p.m., something like that. So um, I started to cut like more than, it was more than 10 p.m. already when I started to cut. And I went back to 65. It was like maybe 3 or 4 a.m. And I was like, okay, now I need to sleep a little bit because otherwise, um, okay, I will make way, but I, I won't perform at all on the platform because I will be freaking tired if I don't sleep. So I slept, um, I woke up maybe between 64.5, 65 again. Um, and I tried to lose the two kilos that, I'm, that I needed and I didn't make it. So I missed weight by 300 grams. Um, but to be honest, when I think about it uh, again, I think I could have made weight, but at some point when I was seeing the time goes through, the time passing and I was more and more stressed and everybody around me was like, Oh, you should do that. Oh, you should do that. Oh, you should do that to make weight. Uh, instead of like staying with one person with my best friend, she, she's the one who always make my, my cut, uh, staying with her in the hot bath. I didn't want to go in the hot bath anymore. Like I was in the hot bath between two, uh, 2 p.m. until 4 a.m. Like I was not, I don't want to do that anymore. I, I just can't. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I had a mental breakdown. And I think that mental breakdown at that moment killed me um, because I, I think I really didn't make weight because of that. In Okay, I was sick and everything and it didn't help, obviously. Uh, but I think the main reason why um, is that mental breakdown. And I think if I did manage better that mental breakdown, I, I would have made weight. Wow. So when you did eventually have like that breakdown, did you stop? You're like, so I didn't stop. I didn't stop. But what I was doing was not the best to do at that time. I was trying to speak. Um, I was trying to do to go in the in the what is his name uh, in the car. 
with everything on, on, on a sauna. Um, but I was not staying too long that I was changing all the time. As soon as I was feeling not good, I was like, no, I need hair. And um, so it was just not efficient. So I didn't stop trying to make waves. I just, um, I wasn't just not efficient in, in the way I was trying to do it. And looking back now, like, honestly, now that everything's happened, like Sheffield's happened, like you had the amazing me at the Arnold's, like, do you wish you had made weight? Because you were sick anyways. And like, yeah, you know what I mean? So, like, who knows what happened? Yeah. So after uh, when I came back to France, um, I had Lua, I, uh, I knew I had COVID because I got tested and everything. And I lost a lot of weight. Uh, <laughs> funny enough. <That's> funny. <laughs> funny enough uh so I lost a lot of weight and I had like uh huge headaches during weeks it was it was really bad so I had like COVID three times um and that one was the worst I, I had the symptoms it was really really bad but whatever um you know I really do think um I have that strong belief that everything that happens to you happens for you and for something um so obviously I would have loved to make weight and win a, another world title, but if that didn't happen, um, I wouldn't have been stronger in so many ways. Like it teach me so, so much. And I think you learn more about your failures than when you win, uh, about your success. So, so it's, it might be strange to say, but I'm, I'm happy I did fail that time. It was my first really first failure as an athlete uh, because well it, it can happen you are a little bit disappointed because I don't know like you you failed a, a, um, a lifting competition or whatever but I, I never really failed like real failure and that one for me was a failure so um, it, it, yeah I'm I'm happy actually I felt it was tough it was really tough time to to go through but um yeah it, it, it has teach me so much so can I ask you what was the toughest part about that entire situation because it's like you physically feel not great but you also have a major platform and I don't know what it's like to have <laughs> that many people watching me I know what it's like to have my mom text me but I don't know what it's like to have <laughs> that many people watching you it's like I don't know what, like, if you got support or did you get more hate? Like, what was the toughest part about that whole thing? Um, so the hardest thing was, um, actually, I think it was because I was really disappointed in myself. That was the first thing that I have to deal with. Um, like, I'm not talking about COVID. Like, that, that was another thing to manage. But, like, properly about the failure, it was really... Um, I was disappointed on myself. I was uh, sad to ha to feel like I disappointed my coaches, my friends, my family. Um, and after when I when I put put out there what happened on, on social media, um, I had quite I had like ninety more than ninety percent of support uh, of love and everything. Um, and the ten percent of haters, it was like oh. Well, some people accuse me that I didn't know how to deal with my um, with drugs, so that's why I couldn't make weight or blah blah. Well, whatever that accuse me about drugs. There is something was um, that I was not a real athlete if I didn't make weight, and I shouldn't be in the French team anymore. 
um yeah stuff like that but at that time I didn't really care to be honest I really really didn't care about what um what they say because um those people you are never 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 judged by someone who is on the higher level than you uh, and I don't say that because I want to feel to be mean or whatever, but like people at the same level or higher, they just know. They just know that you can fail. And they are so much so much benevolent with with you uh, than people who gonna critic you or gonna be bad with you. They're just little person. So I'm like, I don't really care because you never maybe you will ever never go to world championship. Like so what do you know about being an athlete actually like a high profile athlete you don't know what it means because you're not there um so so yeah <laughs> no you're so right though it's always the person who's like the farthest away from your accomplishment who has the most to say you're like okay but like if anything let's be real you probably wish you could be me but I would never wish I could be you because you're down there <laughs> and that's <laughs> the truth it's not even being rude it's just like it's the person who's yeah. like all the way over there sitting on the couch squatting 100 pounds and you're like yeah so for example I never for from the real athletes in powerlifting community and the high profile athletes I never had someone telling me shit about me um because they just know they just know how we feel to fail they just know uh what it what we get through to to get there and everything and I feel like we support more each other than really like saying mean things to each other that's definitely what, like, that's why I love powerlifting because the community of people who are in it, that's 100% what you're going to get, like, most yeah. of the time, right? So that's definitely <laughs> super helpful. So going from there, right? So you turned around and had the best performance you've ever put up at the Arnold Sports yeah. Festival, right? And obviously, I don't have to ask you where the motivation came from, all right? <laughs> like, we know where it came from, but were you nervous you'd miss weight for this meet? And then also, did you surprise yourself with your numbers on that day? Because on that day, hold on, I have written down, we got a 600 dots. Okay, oh my God. <laughs> a 600 <laughs> dots. He's got a 213 kilo, bench 115, and dug to 231 with a 559 total, which is just mind-blowing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so actually, I think, so obviously, if I didn't, if I had... Um, do the world championship i wouldn't have done the arnold's obviously um but after after what happened at words i was like i can't wait i can't wait until europeans i need something now um and the now was the arnold's like the the most um recent recent um so i was like i said i I told to my coach, I want to do the Arnold's. And Pana, who also got COVID and he was sick when he performed on the platform at Words and he came fifth, uh, he wanted to do it with me. And we were like, okay, that's going to be our redemption. Uh, but he he got uh, injured and everything. So I was the only one doing it, but he supported me until the end. And he was there when I, when I competed too. Um, and... So after the afterwards, I went to the U.S. Uh, with my coach, who is also my boyfriend, and I was like, I can't, 
I so I at the Arnold's I, I had the choice. I could have done it at 69 kilos. Well, on the 69 kilos because it's in points. It's not like in weight class. But I was like, no, I miss weight. So I need to do it at 63. Um, COVID helped because I lost weight and I was like around 63, 64 kilos. So even if I put on weight a little bit, I didn't have to cut too much. And so I decided to do in the 63 uh, and to do that me and my coaches didn't want because I was dealing at that time with back issues too, with, with a back injury. And they were like, well, it's going to be a lot. Like, um, but I say, I need that. I, I need it. I just can't wait. Uh, if I wait more, I think I just feel I'm going to, I'm going to fall down in depression. <laughs> so um, I was, and that fulfilled me during all summer um to put on weight like to put uh, a huge total to build a huge total and the fact that carola gara was going to go there too um i was like okay so i really really need to crush it um and yeah all summer i was fixating on that redemption <laughs> until the arnold's that's incredible and then you get there and again like absolutely crushed it and dealing with a back injury. So with the injury you're dealing with too, like when you got there, did you actually expect that you put up those actual numbers? Like, and were you in pain that day? Like what was going on? Uh, so we did manage quite a bit until, um, until the Arnold's, my back injury. So we pulled out a little bit on deadlift because it was uh, um, mostly deadlift. So I was just deadlifting once or two times. Uh, just like singles to keep to keep strange but I was not like pushing my deadly part um, and I was pushing my squat and trying to push my bench too so yeah we managed quite a bit and I, I, I was going to the to the PT too the physiotherapist to help me with that um, and on the day I just took some um, Advil just in case some inflammatory and I was like no matter what I'm gonna pull <laughs> even if my my back breaks I don't care um, but it's funny that you I actually needed to uh, I don't know how to say but like I, it hurt myself it's not really the good word but I don't know how to to say it like I needed to like exorcise an exorcist, uh, exorcise like my pain by yeah. feeling more pain. It's it's weird. But... Okay. <laughs> I feel uh, like that's something I've heard other athletes say because we're weird. So you know, what I mean, it's like <laughs> I'm in pain, but like I need to feel the pain to push you more, kind of yeah. like that. Okay. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Got you. Oh my god. So. When you pulled that final deadlift, put the bar down, you get the white lights. Like, what was that feeling? Because you like just were at the bottom of a mountain, like fell. You're like, oh my gosh, that was the worst thing probably in your mind thought could have happened to you was worlds. And then you just had the best performance ever. So you went all the way back up the mountain in like one like day. Like, how'd that feel? Um it was, yeah, it was my best meet ever, like ever, ever I have ever done. And even like on my feelings, on everything, like 
uh, I worked really, really hard with my mental prep afterwards uh, about my failures, my feeling, how I want to leave um, that need, that redemption. And on the day, I had no doubt, no doubt at all. I was like, it's the day. I, I have to do it. I No matter what, like I trust 100% my coaches. Uh, so uh, one of the French coach was there, Pana was there, my boyfriend and who is my coach too was there. And I, they are the three most people I trust uh, to do a match on a meet day. Um, and I, and my, my best friend was there too. Um, all my friends, they came, they came from France to, to support me too. And I was like, I just, with all that support, all the hard work, uh, I have done this the, all the summer. I was like, I just can't fail. It's not going to happen today again. Uh, so I was 100 confident and I was like, no matter what they put on the barbell, if I have to pull for the win, I will do it. Um, so when I got, so actually, uh, Carola failed her third deadlift. So even with my second deadlift, I already win, but, um, I did my third deadlift anyway. And I knew it was for the world record total. I knew it was, uh, for the highest female, um, I, I didn't know about dolls, but, um, I have points. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, I, I just can't describe, just amazing. Just, just amazing. And I can really tell that you value the importance of having the right people around you because you have to have like the right team of people supporting you. And you keep mentioning like your boyfriend, Ben Esra, right? Your boyfriend yeah. slash coach. <laughs> and then you have Penna and then you have your best friend, other people around you. Like that must be just so helpful to have the right support. My, I, I really, really always say that my, my crew, my team, my equipe, as we say, it's, it's my friend. And I think this is something that we have in prolifting that is really unique uh, because even if it's, um, well, it's an indiverse sport. Like you, we, you are alone on the platform, um, but they are always there. They are always there to support us. Um, no matter what competition, even if I don't do it or Prana don't do it, we go, we support each other. We are like always together. We work together. We train together. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, yeah, we are always, always together. And this is a, this is a strength because when we were, when I was really, really down, um, sorry, I'm just <laughs> super emotional right now. Um, okay. Pana was there to remind me who I was, what I did, because you just tend to forget at that time. Like, it's like I lost my identity when I missed weight. Like I didn't see myself like an athlete anymore, uh, like a champion, like I felt like shit really and every day on training he was telling me you go at uh, at the Arnold's you're gonna remember who is the goat and it's you and it's like telling me that every day every training session and and that's that's strong like that's really strong I mean when you feel like you lose faith in yourself and someone's next to you, like, no, I have all the faith in you in the world. Like, that can, like, carry you. Because if you don't have that, it's like, okay, I feel defeated and I'm alone. And, like, there's yeah. nothing worse than feeling defeated and alone at the same time. 
yeah it's it's really important i think to have the good person around you uh to support you especially because it's easy to have people when you are on the top um but when you are down it's when you see the the real people who cares about you um and pana pana tells me too that you're not my friend because you're a world champ like we met each other when we were no we were no one um like we barely started our prolifting career uh we were full of dreams we were uh trying to save money in order like to put our gym together and um and yeah he he tells me like it's not because you're world champ you're my friends you're my friends at the beginning because we share the same values we have the same vision um and we support each other no matter what so yeah <laughs> that's incredible so moving into sheffield were we still dealing with the back injury yeah so after the annals uh it got worse um so yeah it got worse and i had to pull out from europeans uh in december and and I came back on time for Sheffield, but I didn't have time to push in order like to increase my total. So I just I was just able to do what I already have done, but just uh, at the sixty nine lifter. Um, and it was tough. It was tough because twenty twenty two was really a weird. Um, yeah, really not not my. It was my best performance at, at the Arnold's, but except that, like everything around was was not the best. Mm-hmm. Um it was one of my worst year as an athlete. Um so it was tough because it was the first time I was dealing really with that type of injury. Um and I was like I couldn't deadlift uh anymore. It was too painful and when I used to be able to squat, I couldn't, I started to not be able to squat anymore too. So during like a few months, I didn't squat. I didn't deadlift. I was just benching and doing rehab accessories and stuff like that to be better. Uh, so I came back on time, but yeah, not enough to push. And, and it was really frustrated, really, really frustrated. And at that meet, we still we still did break the squat world record for sixty nine, yeah. And then that was the that was your record, right? That was the only record yeah. we broke today. Perfect. I say only record <laughs> as if not we feel like I can never break that. But like, <laughs> um, so we get through that, which is insane. That so many people broke records, and it wasn't even like, like I don't even know. It's like I think nine women broke records out of the people who were there. Yeah, like, we insane. were the first nine, I think. Uh, so I got eight. So yes. maybe not the first eight or the first nine. I don't know. One of those, but insane. So after, she- well, no, let me actually stay on Sheffield. Besides you didn't love your performance because you couldn't top what you had just done and you were in pain going through it. And were you on pain on, on the day up as well? Uh, oh, no, on the day was okay. was okay. okay. What was, was the experience of Sheffield still like a good experience overall because it was the first one ever. So it was so big for everyone to see. Yeah. So it's, it's tough to answer that question because um, I would say it's kind of 
I was not really in the mood to compete. So Sheffield for me was more stressful than anything because I was like, okay, this is the first one. I'm injured. Um, I thought about pulling out from it, but I was like, this is the first one. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was, I was not really in a good mindset, really not in a good mindset. Um, so I, I think I didn't enjoy it as much as other lifters um, might have. But except that part, it was super well organized by SPD. Um, the, it was insane to lift in front of so many people. Um, the meet and greet was great. Like we had a team of spotters helping, uh, in the warming room. Uh, we have water, we had, yeah, everything was really, really, um, thought, you know, they're like the athletes, um, for the athletes in general. Uh, yeah. So it was really, really well done for that. But personally, it was like more more stress and I was not really in a good mindset to compete. But I think even if it was not Sheffield, it would have been another me, it would have been the same. Yeah. And that that overall does make sense because again, like there's so much going on, especially with being in pain too. And you're like, okay, here we go. I literally feel like I have to do this meet. Like, because yeah. you said you thought about dropping out and that's tough because like, doing the Arnold's like that's I mean you had the world record for 6.3 and 6.9 right so it would have been crazy if you weren't there but you missing worlds made it the situation where like you needed to prove sort of that you should be there again so it's yeah. like you do all that and then it's like well now I have to go <laughs> yeah and also because I got a watch card uh because I didn't auto qualify uh, with word I was like I don't feel like dropping uh SBD and um yeah I was like no I just I just can't do that so I really did my best to come back um and to find a sort of motivation because that was tough too um finding a motivation for Sheffield um because money for me it's not it's not something that motivates me you can tell me you're gonna win 10k um or 20 or whatever it's not a motivation. It's not something that money not, that don't fulfill me. So it was weird to think, oh, you're going to win money, but you don't going to win a title, but you can uh, uh, break world records. It was, I don't know, it was weird. <laughs> um, so I had also to uh, to work mentally in my uh, perception of Sheffield to find motivation to, to push and everything. Oh, uh, now, now I find it, but, but yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny. Whenever I hear Matt Gary speak, like Matt Gary's like, you know, you have one day a year, you can become a world champion, right? So world champion tell, no one can ever take it from you. It's so huge. And then money, right, is a little bit different. But why is it that money does not motivate you at all? And I'm curious because as a person who's like not a world champion, I'm like, you know, sounds like a pretty good deal to me <laughs> I think the people listening I'd be like you know I think I'd motivate my 10k like uh, yeah I guess uh so since I'm a kid like I'm not interested in money I never dream about winning a lot of money or whatever it's I I, I don't know uh what fulfills me it's more so something that gonna gonna give you 
maybe a statue statue uh status, um, status yeah um and i don't know like a word title is something like it's mean something when 10k it's it's something like you can do a lot of with that money but it doesn't mean anything i don't know <laughs> no you're right though you can't like people look at you it's like you're a multi-time world champion no one's gonna look at you and say like man you won 10k and yeah that's me. <laughs> and exactly. how just spend it it's like no one cares how you spend it like no one's gonna ask you <laughs> <laughs> that so, that's the thing yeah it's funny like it makes so much sense but, but still the primary is just like but i would still like to win <laughs> but it's a good thing like i I say that, but it's really a good thing that there is money now in powerlifting because it's allowed athletes to be really athletes and to live from it. When when I started powerlifting, it was no way you could live from powerlifting and make a salary with it and everything. So what SBD is doing, it's great because um, it's make the sport looks more professional and everything. I think we are just not so used to right now. Um, and I think it's just something that it's a process. Like it's a process to say, oh, okay, now we're going to have a uh, huge cash prize coming in and everything. And it's going to change pro lifting for sure. I think as I'm not new into pro lifting, I see the things changing and I just need like, you know, like kind of adapt the way you see, the way you feel it and, and stuff like that. Yeah, and I mean, just like you're saying, like I, because I started processing about nine years ago, and there was not one dollar that I saw, <laughs> unless in America you had to be untested, okay, and who was switching over to untested for money, and then still, but the money wasn't even high, so you you going over to the dark side permanently to win a few hundred dollars, and that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> that's the best you could do money wise, right? So it is yeah. it's incredible to see like people do get the chance to take it more seriously when you can literally give more time to it because you don't have to have that full-time nine to five, maybe mm. if you're like at that higher level, at the highest level. Yeah. Right now. So um, be, be an, being an athlete is a real job. Like it's a 24 hours job. Uh, you need to rest, you need to train, uh, you need to, I don't know, meal prep, uh, mental prep, the PT. It just, it just takes time if you really want to to be picky with everything. And with a five nine job, it's what nine five or five nine? Yeah. Nine, nine five. five. <laughs> <laughs> um, it can it can be tough. It can be tough. Um, so I think it's good to have those opportunities today. Uh, I think we are not you. We are not really yet there, but it's coming. It's definitely coming. Absolutely. And one big thing you mentioned twice now is the mental aspect of powerlifting. You mentioned that you worked in your mentality after Worlds going into the Arnolds. Is there anything specifically you did to work on your mental state? Uh, so I worked with uh, Brittany from TSG. It's been like more than one year now, one year and a half maybe, that we worked together. But I always did mental prep, but I wanted to find someone uh, specialize on that and work work uh, with and um, she's part of TSG so she has been recommended to me and she's just really amazing um, so is she a sports therapist sorry is she like a sports therapist I'm not sure who she is 
she is I don't know exactly the name I, I think it's sports psychology something okay. like that cool. um yeah I wouldn't I would need to, to check exactly like the the name but well, that's fine but my point I was like is she just a regular Palatin coach or is she like someone who studies like yeah she she mental. has a master in sport and exercise psychology okay that's awesome um so we we talked a lot about what happened at works um in order like to process it uh emotionally and after make a decision for the adults because I was strong if I do it or don't do it because my coach didn't want me to do it at first because of the back injury they were like it's yeah it's not a good idea but um but when I have something in my head like I have to do it uh so we started to work on why the Arnold if it's a good idea 63 or 69 um yeah just she was just asking question and question about and pushing me uh, to really think out uh, everything about my feelings, my emotions, um, even things that you don't want to face. Like, it would have been easy to say, yeah, I didn't make way. I got sick. That's happened. No, it's not because I got sick. Got, got sick didn't help for sure. But it's my mental breakdown. And when you have to face that, that it's your own responsibility, responsibility, um, it can be tough. Like your ego is like, uh, but not everybody's able to do that work because um, you are vulnerable when you do that type, that type of exercises. You have to put your ego away. Uh, you have to really go deep and dig uh, into what happened in order to understand your feelings. But when you are able to do that, it makes you so much stronger so much because your weakness becomes strength really um so so yeah that that's mostly what what we worked on uh going to to the Arnold's and after it was more work about my goals what I wanted to do at the Arnold's um visualization uh yeah stuff exercises like that that's incredible. And you said something huge. You said like when you actually have to take responsibility for what happened, that's hard. You have to put your ego to the side. And that's so true because it's easy. Like you could easily be like, yo, it was COVID. Like, what can I do? I got sick, yeah. whatever. But like when you take full responsibility, like that's when you can actually make adjustments because you're like, no, I have to change. And yeah. change, no one likes changing. It's hard. So that's really yeah. difficult to do. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so as you sit here wearing your Gymshark and I see like a whole <laughs> rack behind you, you're sponsored by Gymshark, which is like a major company for athletic clothing. How did that happen and when did that happen? Uh, So I was still teaching. So I was a teacher before and I was still teaching and it's been, I think, three years that I'm I think it's my third, third years this year, yeah. Uh, yeah, three years uh, that I'm working with them. And so one day I just got an email about, oh, uh, about the Tom. His name was Tom. 
um, and he was working for Gymshark for the French um, territory. And he sent me an email if I was interested to to get um, clothes from Gymshark and maybe like work together, give it a try. And I was like, when, when I got that mail, I was like, oh, they are kidding. It's not true. <laughs> this is a spam. <laughs> and it was actually true. So I was like, of course, of course I won't. Uh, so he sent me some stuff. I tried, well, like we tried uh, six months uh, or three months. I don't remember. Well, I have like a few months uh, of try. Um, and and after I signed, I signed my contract for one year. And since then, like I had all my contract for one year. Um, that's mostly how it happens. Yeah. So what's like, do you enjoy working with them? Like, what's it like? Because I only know personally people who work with like smaller companies, right? But it's so cool that they're like recognized, like to see you like lit randomly on Instagram, but like as an ad for Gymshark, I'm like, yo, he's a powerlifter. Like, <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I'm really, really happy to work with them. It's really cool. Um, and and I don't know, it's not stressful. Like they don't ask me too much or to do too much or something that doesn't look like me. Um, they really respect the fact that I'm, I'm an athlete uh, first and not an influencer. Uh, this is how I see myself on social media, even if, of course, I have a, an influence part. First, for me, I'm an athlete. Um, so I don't know, like I feel like my mindset and stuff are can be different that from some influencers uh, and they really respect that um there is sometimes that i have a certain number of, of posts to do or stories and there there were moments like i was competing or uh, i was really on the down moment when i was injured and stuff like that and they always understood uh, that if i needed like a little break on social media or it was harder to put me out there um yeah they were it's yeah I, I really liked like to to work with them oh my god so there's this that's really cool and also like it's cool that they let you kind of do what you need to do to be the best athlete even if that means like being a little bit less on social media because yeah like that's how they advertise like it's cool to hear their understanding yeah because I think that's the main difference between influencers and and athletes an influencer as well. There is some that gonna compete or um, maybe, but it's it's different when you are one hundred percent an athlete, and that's my job. Like that's my job to be in the French team. Uh, to and sometimes I'm someone who is very introvert, and when I'm going on a competition, I need a little break from social media to be by myself to be alone to be focused and um so they really respect that and i really i'm really i feel really appreciative for that that's awesome i remember it was a while ago when i was like looking you up online like it was newer like when i, I was getting i was like oh my gosh this girl's so cool and i remember reading you said something along the lines of being autistic helps you as an athlete yeah 
Can we dive um, into that? Like, what's that mean? <laughs> uh, I love to think that. Maybe I'm wrong, but I love to think that. <laughs> um, so I have been diagnosed when I was 22 years old. Uh, now I'm 29. And I never get bored to do always the same thing. And I think when you want to be a high-profile athlete, it's, it's helpful. Because even the boring stuff, it's not boring to me. <laughs> like... I love to do only squat, only bench, only deli. And I just feel like every day, it's like the first time that I I do it. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I'm never tired to do always the same thing and, and to dig into details. Um, so, so, yeah, this is, I think this is a, a, a huge strength for me. Well, one, and that makes sense because like, so personally, my nephew, who I'm very close with and I help take care of him a lot, he's six, but he's also autistic. And I do notice like when he is into something, he's like fully obsessed. And then like, if it's something he's not interested in, like, good luck, like, good luck. He's not yeah. even going to look <laughs> in the other right. Like he will look away. You can't even try. So like, <laughs> it makes sense. Like when you're hyper-focused on something and you can easily be there because your brain just wants to focus on yeah. it like it can help yeah that that's the thing we are obsessed we we have like is that they call that in, um center of interest and when you have one you are totally obsessed and you never get tired of it um and prolifting this is prolifting for me um and yeah as you say like if something so for example uh i don't do adult accessories and no way I'm going to do accessories. Like, no way. I think it's boring. <laughs> so uh, I don't enjoy it. So I just don't do it. <laughs> Wait, Except if stop. I have to for my back injuries. But um, yeah. <laughs> Wait, like none? They, they like try zero? Hard. No, I just do comb squat, comb bench, and comb deadlift every day. Like every training session. Leah, you don't do any <laughs> don't and like I'm my client bored. listening you're not her so don't you dare if you're my client <laughs> listening to this podcast that is so interesting okay do you warm up before you get to the barbell I don't oh my god yeah I'm I'm really bad with that I, I don't I remember yeah. hearing I think I heard Ben yeah, it must have been on Candlelist, maybe. And he was like, so I was watching her warm up to, like, do a heavy squat. And she goes, one red, two reds, three reds, go. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, for example, if, if I have to do 200 on squat, I'm going to do 70. So, one red, two red, 120, three red, 170, and one yellow, 200. Like, I, I don't really warm up. Like, I go straight to it. But, yeah. I, so, actually... Um, so I, before, when I was a teacher, I had a lot of, uh, I was um, like almost two hours away from my parents. I was still living at my parents uh, before I moved to my flat. So it was two hours on the morning and two hours on the evening. And I was leaving school around 4, 4.30. Uh, so let's say like 5.00. Uh, I had to go to the gym and the gym was closing like at 8.30. So I barely have time to make my, my session. So I had like to go really quick, no warm-up, straight to it. Uh, and, I just, and I just kept it dense. <laughs> I, 
okay, I guess we have a little excuse. <laughs> no, well, but... now, now I really don't have excuses. It's just like I, I like to do it and uh, it's going to be bad what I'm going to say, but I think warm-up is boring too. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, that's, I think that's a universal fact that warming up is not fun. So I won't even argue for that. Oh my gosh. Um, so you have a book which yeah. is really dope. It's called The Strength of Evil, right? Uh, so I don't know how you will... No, it's not really the the right um, translation. It will be um, The Strength of Pain. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I literally was trying... Like, I was Googling, and I was like, I'm seeing yeah. a few slight things. And I was like, I'm going to just have to ask <laughs> <laughs> so yeah the the right translation would be the strange of pain okay can you in a very brief because i know it's a lot a brief summary what motivated you to write this book and then what's the main like what's the book really about um so i always love to write since i'm a kid i'm really into literature books and everything um uh, but i never thought i would write a book like never ever it was not a even a goal. <laughs> uh, I never consider myself as a writer or whatever. Um, but my agent, I don't know if it's, yeah. So um, he, he was like, you need to write a book. Like you have too much to say. Your story, it's unbelievable. Uh, it's so atypical. Like you need to write a book. And I was like, uh, Okay, <laughs> if you think so. Wait, can you um, pause for a second? You said agent, but I thought she meant like the agent for the book. So wait, who was he if he told you to write the book? Uh, no, it's um, uh, sports agent. Okay. Like he managed my my kind of career, but like more so for uh professional aspect, like um conference uh, stuff like that, like my contract with brands um so so he found he found like a publisher and everything and and after yeah I had like 10 months to write the book um it was it was tough <laughs> it was tough I love to write but between writing in your um intimal like notes and like writing the books it's really two things two different things uh, but I really, really enjoyed it. Was it was nice, um, and I'm I'm thinking about writing a second one actually, but later. <laughs> okay, that's cool. So, did you feel like you had that hyperfixation when you were writing the book? Th that I have what? Sorry, like that hyperfixation or that super focus when you're writing the book, where you're like, oh, I'm enjoying yeah, it. Yeah. So, um, I had like period where I was really, really high focused. And period, like I didn't want to read or write or anything. I was like, no, I don't want to hear about it anymore. During like one week before, like I find the motivation and inspiration to do it again, um, because it takes a lot. Like it takes a lot from you, um, because so I wrote about my life when I was a kid, teenager, uh, everything that happened to me. Uh, how I came to powerlifting, how it saved my life, uh, about autism too, and a little bit by my 
my career like the competition um but I did put a lot up there like about about me um so and it just I just dig into a souvenir that I didn't want to to remember to um that was really painful so yeah it was it was tough <laughs> wow and that's that takes a lot to want to share that to anyone who will purchase the book. Like, you know, I'm like, you share that with the world. Yeah. Like, so was that I, comfortable? I, when I wrote it, I didn't really think about that until like, it's actually going to be published. And there is like one little part that I was like, no, I'm not ready to talk about that. I'm not ready like people. I don't want people to read that for the moment. And I don't know if I will ever talk about it. So that the only um page that we get rid of be- before we publish but everything else I was I was okay with that I was okay and I was like I'm strong enough even if people I don't know like people were mean about it or whatever uh I would be able to support it like to yeah to face it so so yeah <laughs> that is so cool is there an English translation of this book I'm working so hard on it because so that's the thing. Um, I asked the publisher to have the ebook in English, not actually the book, but at least the ebook in English. Uh, they have the right, so I can't do it without their um, but their right, like the that if they say they're okay, um, and we are still waiting for an answer. So that's it. But I really hope it's gonna be out uh by the end of the year in English, the ebook, because there is quite a bit of people asking for it. That's gonna be so I'm asking. That's gonna be so cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh I can't wait for that to happen. And then I know you said like it's just an idea to write another book, but if you were to write this other book, do you already know what the idea is for the book? Uh it would be uh, the end of my career I think I would like so I stopped this book right uh, before the Arnold's so, so it will start with the Arnold's until the end of my career like yeah <laughs> okay. so I don't know really what's gonna happen uh, what's gonna happen in that in that frame but yeah that would be the main idea okay do you have an idea for when you may want to pause powerlifting um I I don't know until when I will be able to be at that high level profile but I hope somewhere between before becoming a master like between 35 and 40 years old I guess uh because obviously there is younger people coming and at some point well we all know that um you can be a world champ all your life so so yeah, I think between 35 and, and 40 years old. Okay. Do you have any specific goals you're chasing outside of powerlifting, outside of writing this book and life? Uh, I think it's my other goals are business-wise uh, with my friends. So we have SBD friends and we have a salon worker. So that would be growing more and more and do more for powerlifting I mean, if we are not athletes anymore so it might be like uh, helping with the federation helping athletes sponsors 
uh, or um, doing competition. Yeah, just growing the business and growing the team in France in general. That's awesome. And I know you're doing that <laughs> a lot with Silent Worker and just overall, yeah. the, like France is just, I mean, it was so cool. I know the videos were Tiffany and Penna, but it was so cool yeah. to have that like playing like in between worlds, like them showing the swap engine deadlift. Like the France, the French team is doing a lot <laughs> just to like <laughs> build the sport and show more awareness in France. Um, yeah, we, it's, it's, it's quite big. Like in France, it's really, really quite big. Um, sorry, I just have someone calling, calling me. I just want to say that I'm not available. Sorry. No worries. <laughs> yeah, that, that's done. Um, yeah, because she's calling me quite a few times and I'm like, no, no. <laughs> um, so yeah, poor thing in France is big, and I never thought it would be that big, ever. When I started powerlifting, it was barely people in Instagram. Um, I think I was one of the only one with Pana uh, when we started social media with powerlifting in France. Um, there were not that many high-profile athletes, yeah, and, and yeah, now it's it's big. It's really, really big. That's and incredible. it's amazing to watch. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing to watch. Do you ever think you may want to be a mother someday? Um, I don't want kids. <laughs> uh, I don't want kids at all. So maybe it's going to change. I don't know. Uh, once I'm done with powerlifting, but I don't think so. Um, I never felt the need to be a mother. It's not something that I that I feel like I need in my life um and I think I'm just I love too much my life right now uh to to want it to change and I know what it means to have a kid because I have been a teacher uh during seven years uh with 10 to 30 people uh kids so uh yeah I just I just don't see my life with a kid <laughs> that's cool I mean honestly so I feel like now that I'm approaching older like later 20s like this question is asked more often and I just get curious about with other people who are athletes and around my age like what do you want because it's definitely more common to see us say no versus mm -hmm. like the average later 20 year olds like yeah totally like that's just like normal so so yeah I definitely that's that's cool that you are already with the mindset of I don't really think I want that and you're at peace with that and it could change yeah like, I that's not cool yeah I'm okay I'm okay with that like um I can totally understand that there is people who feel the need uh to have kids because it's just a feeling, like just something you you know you want, uh, but I don't feel that way, and and I'm okay with that. So we will see, but we never you never know what kind of happen in life. So exactly. To end off, I'm definitely curious to know: Does all of your income come basically from powerlifting now, meaning Gym Shark sponsorships, athlete stuff, or is there anything yeah. else you do as well? So. 
I tried to coach a little bit during one year, but it's not for me. It's not something that I really enjoy. Uh, so I tried. I see if it's for me, and it's not. So now, yeah, my main income is from from sponsors uh, mostly. That's incredible. Did you ever think you'd be there? Like, <laughs> never. When I started powerlifting, I was like, nobody cares about powerlifting. Nobody cares about us as an athlete. Uh, there were no money at all. So, no, really, I didn't. I didn't think it would. It would have been possible at all. That's. I think that's a lot. The it's cool that that's even a possibility now, and I'm so yeah. happy to see people like you who are able to make a full living off of it. <laughs> Thank you. Of course, it's been amazing talking to you. Thank you so much for joining me. Like, you're thank, amazing. You. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And to everyone listening, thank you for listening. And y'all, catch you next time on the Power and Lifting Podcast. Guys, thank you so much for listening. If you liked today's episode, if you like the Power and Podcast in general, please share with a friend, do a five-star review, and give a rating on Spotify and Apple Music if you can at podcast. It helps so much to get the podcast out to more people. It helps with the algorithm. just helps us get to have more listeners. So I appreciate all of you, and catch you next time.